Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Go to the book of Mark. We've been in the series uh, over the book of Mark for, for quite a while now, right? And now I need you to know right up front, I can be bought. Like I'm easily, you can pay me off. And I'm pretty cheap, if I, if I can be honest with you. Hey, you get me a Subway sandwich, I'm pretty good for the rest of the week, all right? I mean, that's, that's how, how we can make this work. But, like, so today, we, collectively as a church, have the power. We're in Mark chapter 6, but we have the power. If you tell me to, I can go to the end of this book, preach the last couple of verses, and we can call this series over already, all right? We can, we, we can do that, but, but we probably shouldn't do that. Probably Brent would be angry if we, if we actually ended up doing that. But if you have your Bibles... We are going to go to Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to tell you, my memory's a little fuzzy, and so I want, I want to tell a story about what happened a couple years ago. This is actually, I don't know what year this is, 2012, 2013, I'm not sure, but for a long time, our church was going over to Nicaragua, and, and when we'd go, we, like every year, it would become, like, it was a whole church thing. What we would do is we'd take all of these chairs down, we'd put tables up, and, and we'd pack medicine, and we'd pack uh, shoes and, and all type of benevolence items, and we'd get everything together, and we'd pack it up, and it'd take a couple weekends to get it packed up, and then before our team would leave, we'd ship it out to Nicaragua early on, and we did that. Like, anyone been a part of those packing days? You guys, some of the old school cornerstone people? Yeah, yeah, like, we, we did that a lot, and, and it was incredible. It was awesome, and we would send it on. Now, here's what ended up happening. I started going to Nicaragua in 2007. And it, I think it was 2012, but I could be wrong. You could, you could correct me. It might have been 2013. But it was, Nicaragua got a new president. And that president wasn't necessarily, uh, he was more of a dictator than a president. And so whatever he said went, and, and it really didn't matter. And so, like, I was talking to Pastor Will about this. Really, what ended up happening, because Will was very involved in that time period with, with all that, what would end up happening is the government, they, they didn't really have to do anything. They would just kind of sit around and do whatever they wanted to do, seems reminiscent of today, but, uh, but they, would, they would sit around and, and, and like customs, they didn't really care about what, what happened in customs, like we would send stuff over there and it could wait there for a week, two weeks, three weeks, it could wait a month before they'd even look at it, and that became a problem because we're going over for a medical, a dental, and a benevolence trip, it became a problem, and so for the last couple trips, we were, we were really worried about will we get our luggage, will we get our stuff that we need to make this mission trip happen? And so what ends up happening is we go on the trip. And like right before we leave, we're still praying, God, like release, the, release all the medicine, release all the luggage so we can go and, and minister. And, and when, by the time we got on the plane, the stuff had not been released yet. Uh, that's, a, that's a problem. And so we get to Nicaragua and we're trying to figure out what are we going to do? Because again, they had signed up like 3,000 people to show up to get medicine and benevolence and all these different things. And so we're sitting there and we're trying to figure out What's going to happen? And then we finally get word that our stuff is not going to be released, but there's a prior team that has some stuff, and they're going to they're gonna send it on for us, and so we'll be able to use their, their items. Now, again, I don't remember which year this was in, but what I do remember is they had signed up about 3,000 people to show up to this mission and to get whatever they needed, and it was probably closer to around 3,500 to 3,800 people that actually showed up. So more. And, and then the stuff that we got from that prior team, it was not going to be enough at all to help everybody there. So we have two big issues here. We have way more people 
there that, are, that are, weren't going to be there originally, and then we don't have enough for everybody. This is an issue. And so I just remember, what, what do we do in those time periods? We just, we pray. And so we started praying, and whenever they started lining up for medical and the benevolence and all those type of things, and I just need you to know up front, I'm a very skeptical person, all right? Like, I, I don't trust hardly anything at all, all right? I believe pro wrestling's real. That's the only thing that you could maybe get a little weird on me about, all right? But I'm pretty skeptical about everything else. Uh, you, you put on a TV evangelist, and I will not believe one word they say, all right? You, you can, uh, like, that's, that's, a, that's a heart issue probably, but I, I don't trust a lot of things. So I'm telling you this right now. I don't know what it was. Well, I do know what it was. But when we got on the mission trip and everyone lined up and they were coming to get all their supplies and trying to get the benevolence and the rice and beans and all those things, again, we didn't have enough supplies for everybody. But after we ended up praying, God kept multiplying all the stuff that we had to the fact that we were only going to have 3,000 people there. It ended up being about 3,800 people there. Every single person got medication. Every single person got food. Every single person got benevolence. Now, in the natural, that could not have happened. That would not add up. But because God was involved, he changed all that. And I stood and watched a miracle happen, that God took what was small and multiplied it and multiplied it and multiplied it so that every single person there would get something out of that. Like, again, I'm a very skeptical person, but that was literally me sitting there and seeing a miracle happen right before my eyes. And it reminds me of the story that we're going to talk about here today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to talk about another miracle quite like that. And honestly, here's the deal. If you put your problem in God's hands, he can take care of it. Over everything else, he can take care of it. And that's not some real deep theological statement. I just need you to hear that. I've seen it happen personally. It was incredible. So in Mark chapter 6, this is the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Theologians will say, okay, in, in this story, they only counted the men. They didn't count the children or the women. So they're thinking there might have been, you know, 10,000, 12,000. Some theologians say up to 18,000 people were fed by five loaves and two fish, okay? Right up front. I didn't do my math well, and there's only four loaves here. So we're going to act like there's a fifth loaf right here, all right? So it, so it makes sense. I'm not going to lie, by the end of this thing, I might eat this one. So we'll act like two more. God could maybe show up in this, in this time. But for context in this story in Mark chapter 6, what we get to before that, Brent talked about this last week, was the idea of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a really close friend of Jesus. He was really family to Jesus. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke that when Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mom, was pregnant, and Jesus' mom Mary came together, that John leapt in the womb because he was so excited about Jesus that John's whole life was put towards making Jesus known to everybody, that the Messiah was on his way. And then what we talked about last week was John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded. And in the book of John, it tells us this exact same story, but it said that that hurt Jesus to such a way that he wanted to just kind of be distant from everyone for a little bit. He wanted to retreat away to be alone for a little bit with just him and his disciples. He just wanted to be with his people because of the heartache he had from John the Baptist passing. The story of feeding the 5,000 is found in all four Gospels. There's no other story that's found in all four of the Gospels. And they all kind of piece together this story in such a way. And again, I hope you get out of your mind like the big flannel graph that you had in Sunday school. 
I hope you, you don't see the story as the children's Bible that you had. I want you to really think about the, the humanity in this story and what this looks like for us here today. So I'm going to read, and we're going to get after it. Is everyone good? All right, here we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. we got a lot to read. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all they had done and taught. If you remember, the apostles left they went out and they were doing miracles all around town. Jesus sent them out and now they're coming back. And in the book of John, it actually tells us they came back and they were telling Jesus a little bit about all the things they did and what John, and that fact that John had passed. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Verse 32, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them. They saw, and they, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, to, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Is that, is that what you're asking us to do? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. If you have a highlighter or are highlighting or underlining, underline that, that phrase right there, green grass. That's, that's an important part of the story. Verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This story, again, it's crazy. There's five loaves of bread. He breaks them up and it multiplies to feed around 18,000 people. That's, that's incredible. That is a miracle. That, that's a huge part. And if you go through this story a little bit more, Jesus is going to tell them a lot more. He's going to walk on water here pretty soon. There's a lot of things he's going to do. But this is like the penultimate story. This is one of the most famous stories because it shows a lot of different things about who Jesus is and what he was all about. And so when I'm just going to give you a quick tip about reading the Bible. This is just, this is free. Take it, leave it, however you want to. But how I read the Bible is I, I always ask about three questions when I'm going through a passage. Okay, so when I'm reading any passage of scripture, I'm going to go through three questions here. The first one is I always ask, like, what is it saying? What, what is this scripture saying? What is this chunk of scripture I'm reading? What is, what is it saying? What's the context around it? What's, what's going on? In, in, like, what happened before? What happened after? What's it saying? The second thing I always ask is, what does it mean? Okay, so we see what it's saying, but what does it actually mean? Is there a bigger picture to this story? Is there something more that I'm not seeing in this story? And then the third question always ask is, what does this mean to me? So what's it saying? What's it mean? And now, how does it apply to my life? Does it apply to my life? How does it work for, for me? And so we're going to answer those questions here today. So if you have your notes, number one, easy, first one, is Jesus blesses brokenness. Jesus blesses brokenness. The Bible tells us that he, he sees the people the people of Israel, God's chosen people. He looks out at them. He's tired, he's exhausted, he's worn out, he's heartbroken because of his friend John. 
Everything just feels heavy in his life. And the Bible says that he wanted to get away for a little bit. He just wanted to rest. He didn't want to have to do the ministry anymore. He didn't want to have to go into the office. He didn't, he didn't want to have to go deal with his family. He, didn't want, he just wanted to take some time just for him and his, little, and his group of friends around him. He was hurting in his heart. And yet the Bible tells us that he saw the people and through his exhaustion, through his broken heart, he had compassion on them and he went towards them that he wanted to take care of them, that it broke his heart. He says that they looked like they were sheep without a shepherd, that they were directionless in everything that they were doing. He was worn out and still he was moved with compassion. I just want to be bold with you this morning. I love you. I love you. I love you. But if the son of God who gets exhausted like you and I, if the son of God who's went through heartbreak like you and I, if the son of God who's been through so much already at this point in his life, if he will sit there and say, even through my exhaustion, even through my tiredness, even through all the things going on, even though I want to relax, I'm still going to give out and serve. If the Son of God will do that, how dare you and I sit on our hands on a Sunday morning? How dare you and I let the ministry go about without us having a part of it? How, how dare we sit there and say, man, this isn't, I just need some time to rest. I get it, we all do. You should take your Sabbath, rest. But God's called us to go and see his kingdom move forward. And I just need to be bold with you. You're not gonna see his kingdom move forward by just sitting in a chair every Sunday morning for one hour. You're gonna see his kingdom move forward when you get involved in the adventure that God calls you to. Now, I'm not just trying to guilt you. Don't, don't hear that. That's not, it's not a, like a drive-by kind of guilting on you. I'm not doing that to you. What I want you to hear is that God has a place for you. And if the Son of God is moved with compassion when he sees the people, so should we. Uh, can I, just in boldness. We have adults that work with the kids. We had a group that went out this like yesterday with kids ministry. We have a group of people who work with teenagers. And I don't know if you know this or not. I hope you're sitting down. Sometimes teenagers have drama, okay? Sometimes. It's, it's wild, right? I mean, who knows? But it happens once in a while, all right? But you know what? We have adults that say, hey, I don't care about that. What I care about is the fact that there's a heart inside them and that God wants to get into the middle of that and that God can move in their life and that they're going to be the church. They are the church and that they're going to do something great. They were moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. How dare we just sit here? You have a place in the kingdom. You have a job in the kingdom. Let's work towards it. Not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. We're going to gather up here in the morning and we're going to go into downtown Tulsa we're going to go feed the homeless. Easy connection point for you. Come join us. You'll see all that on our Facebook and on our website and all that stuff very, very soon. It's an easy connect point for you. So, again, we get back to the story. The five loaves. Jesus says, hey, you give them something to eat. You, you, you get them something. Now, if I'm the disciples, I'm sitting there thinking, um, yeah, no. I don't know how you want me to, to do this. Like, there's 18,000 people here. How are we going to feed these people? There's 18,000 people here. How do you want me to really go through this? What, what's, what's the point of this? How, how are we going to, in fact, I'd probably be a little irritated even in this. Like, Jesus, what are, you, what are you asking me to do? And then Jesus asked him this really, really important question. He says, hey, how many, how many loaves of bread do you have? I want you to think in this story. The Bible tells us in one of the other gospels that Philip, maybe not Philip, I can't remember which one, Philip goes over to a little boy in the crowd and he basically, he takes his bread and his fish and, he, and, he, and he, he steals it from him and he brings it over to Jesus. Now, like if, 
if you're taking my Lunchable from me, I will punch you. That's, that would not be, I would not do well in this story. I'm fat and I want my food. But, but they took his food and they brought it to Jesus and said, here you go, here, here's, here's what we have. And then again, the story says that Jesus took it, he blessed it, he broke it into pieces, and then he gave it out. Right here for a second. I, I need everybody. This is our calling. We're blessed by God. If you're sitting in this room, not because you're sitting in this room, but if you're sitting in this room, you are blessed. Okay? If you're living in a, if you can read, you're blessed. But we're also called to be broken too. That all of us in life, it's going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. And then through the brokenness, we give out. This is where God's called us to be. We're blessed by God. We're broken, and we give out. God's called you to be blessed, to be broken, and to be given out. That's who we are. That's what we do on earth. That's who we're going to be. And God's given us that incredible, incredible calling. When Jesus took the bread, he broke it in pieces, and he passed it out, what looked broken really became the blessing for all those people. Maybe that's the same story for you today. Maybe you're not too broken. Maybe God has something better for you than how you feel about yourself. Amen? Let's go to number two. Uh, number two, the blessing is pointing to something else. This blessing is pointing to something else. I sweat so much. I hope you love seeing me wipe myself off all the time. So this summer we're going to camp, Camp Hill Spring, and I'm excited about camp. This is one of my favorite things that we get to do. It's a camp that we do just ourselves. It's our first through fifth graders and our sixth through twelfth graders. They don't ever get to, they don't have to go together at all. They're on their own in different spots, but it's an incredible time. Last year was awesome. I loved every bit of it. And in fact, even today, we have more people signed up at this point than we took last year. I mean, it's like God's already moving and making this camp really, really going to be good. And one of the things about camp that we, we did last year in the youth version of it was we, we created a thing called the Wheel of Torture, okay? And so if, if you were a student and you had maybe some bad behavior, what we would do is we'd make you spin the Wheel of Torture. And there's a bunch of different things on the Wheel of Torture. Like I think you, we have, you, if you had poopy behavior, you had to wear a toilet seat the rest of the day. That was a, that was a thing if... If you know, if you were, if you did something bad, you had to do a hundred push-ups. Okay, there was like a lot of things, but probably the most popular one, but the one that I thought was going to be the harshest one for people was one of the one of the consequences was you had to sit and listen to Ashley White tell a story. Okay. Now, if you know Ashley, and I apologize if you do, but if you if you if you know Ashley, the thing about her is when she tells a story. Uh, it, it's not like a 30-second type thing. Her stories go on for three weeks, okay? And, 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 and in these stories, it goes from point A to point W to point B to number five. Like, it, 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 there is no real rhyme or reason. She gets distracted. She gets lost. She calls somebody on the phone. Like, you, you can never really get to the bottom of her stories because she really doesn't even know the bottom of her stories herself. And what we ended up seeing was, one of the students who, who, had to, who unlikely drew that one, all week long I would look over and I would see Ashley and him just sitting there and she was telling him a story. It was, it was incredibly, incredibly brutal. And the reason I tell you this is, again, this story, this miracle is found in all four Gospels. And they have different perspectives. The same story, ooh, my voice is going out. Same story, 
but different perspectives. And so if you piece them together, you see some kind of interesting things in this, in this story. So like the first thing, Mark makes this really interesting comment in verse 39. He says, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. That's a, a very interesting word that he puts in there. The other gospels don't say that. It just it says they made him sit down. And so the green grass would give us a little hint to what time of season it was when this story happened. They, most theologians think, you know, uh, late winter, early spring. John tells us in John chapter 6 that in the same exact story that the Jewish Passover festival was near. So we know that this is kind of around the time of Passover and the things going on there. So why is any of this part important to this story? Well, the Passover was an incredible, incredible reminder to the people of God of what he did for them. You know the story of the Passover, right? The fact that the Israelites, they were in Egypt. They were enslaved. They, they didn't have their own homeland. They were, they were, they were enslaved by, by Pharaoh for 400 years. And God finally said, okay, the cries of my people had came to my ears. And so Moses, go set my people free. And then Moses goes in there, and you've heard the story, but he gets in there and, and he sets the people of Israel free. They cross the Jordan and they go into the wilderness. And when they're in the wilderness, they start to get hungry. And the Bible tells us that God, he, he helped them. He gave them provision through a thing called manna. Manna was bread. That God fed his people in the wilderness with bread. And so Jesus is pointing to something a little bit bigger even than their present circumstances. He's reminding them of what God did in the past. That God provided them with bread when they needed it. That God provided for them whenever they were without things. And this is an important part of this story because the bread symbolized God's provision for, for their life is pointing to the people of Israel and their liberation. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that Moses, as he was, he was leading the people in the, in the wilderness and giving them manna, that he started to get overwhelmed by all the people's problems. And so a person of his family came up to him and he said, hey, Moses, this isn't working right. You can't be over all of these people. That's too overwhelming. So here's what you need to do. And so in the book of Exodus, it says it like this. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and tens. Now, in the story in Mark, Jesus says, divide them up. Put them in groups of fifties, hundreds, and tens. Jesus is showing them the same story. He's pointing back to what happened there. In fact, in the book of Numbers, as God's people were in the wilderness, Moses writes that they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is another picture of Jesus pointing back. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He's pointing to what God did in the past. He's saying, hey, I provided for them then. I could provide for them now. This audience would know very much what was going on in this story. But not only is he pointing backwards, he's also pointing forward. It's kind of a prophetic thing as well. What's he do? He takes the bread, he blesses it. What's he do? He breaks it, okay? And at the Last Supper, he passes it around to his disciples. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Not only was he providing for them what they needed in the physical, he was telling them, I'm gonna provide for you in the spiritual. The greater thing than your hunger is your forgiveness of sins. And when my body's broken, that's what I usher in for your life. He's saying, hey, you might want bread, 
that I am the bread of life. And I will heal you. And I will sustain you. And the book of Isaiah says, why do you keep going after milk and food that spoils? Why don't you come after the living water? And that's what he's trying to remind them of, is that whatever you're going after in life, whatever you think is going to fill you up, whatever good reputation you hope you have, or however much money you have in the bank, or whatever kind of, however people look at you in life, whatever you're going after, it's going to spoil at one point, and it won't matter at all. What really matters is the fact that your name is written into the book of life. This is what he's trying to remind them of, is that I'll provide for you. I provided then, I'm going to provide in the future. There's hope for you and me, that you might be on the edge, that he's saying, I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to provide for you. Just let's fast forward to the end of this story real fast. The, the Bible tells us that they took up, after they passed it all out, they, they took up how many baskets? Those 12 baskets were taken up. How many disciples were there? It's the reminder that you and I, if we give, that there's always going to be enough for us, that we're never going to be without, that he always has a special spot for us that you'll never have to go without. Amen? Let's go to the last point here. The last one here is that Jesus brings blessing from brokenness. That Jesus brings blessing from brokenness. Aren't most miracles always born out of, like, messes anyways? Like, this is a mess they're in. He's, hey, you feed them. <laughs> How do you want me to feed them? I got five loaves of bread. I got two, like, what do you want? I got tuna fish. What do you, what do you want me to do here? There's a mess. There's 18,000 people. They're hungry. What, what, are you, what are you calling me to do in this moment? If I'm a disciple, I, I must be sitting there thinking, I should have thought through this. I wish I would have thought about, man, like we should have ordered food. Like we, should, we should have figured something out here before we got after this. I wish I would have thought about that. I, I, I'm the type of person, I don't know how you are. I'm the type of person that like, if I've let somebody down, it stays with me. And these disciples, they must have been the same way. Like, God, I've let you down. God, I, I tried, but I don't, I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. I, I wish I could. That's for, that's for Brent. That's for Will or for Cass. That's not for me. I don't have that gifting. I don't have that anointing. I, like, I, can't, I can't be a small group leader. I don't know anything about the Bible. This is a mess that they're in. I don't have anything to add to the kingdom. Some of you are there today. Uh, you don't know what you can offer to the kingdom because you don't think you have anything. It's a mess. It feels broken. And Jesus looked at me and says, hey, you feed them. You feed them. I don't know how to feed them. I don't got anything. And Jesus is trying to remind them, hey, quit, quit looking at the problem and focus on the solution. The solution is me. The solution is that I'll take care of them. The solution is that whenever you feel broken, whenever it feels like it's not working out, whenever it feels like everything is just falling apart and that, man, I screwed up, I got a divorce, like I, I messed up and, and like I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done when I was in college and, I, and I, I screwed up on a lot of different things and I've lost my job. Like I don't have anything to offer the kingdom. God's saying, hey, quit looking at the problem. Look at the solution and the solution is take your broken pieces and give them to Jesus because what Jesus can do with them can be more than anything you could ever think to do with them, that he can do more with your broken pieces than you could ever imagine. I, I just, I hope you would understand that you're not too broken for the kingdom of God. That you're not too messed up. Like, okay, I messed up in my dating life. It doesn't matter. 
If you repent and give that to Jesus, that's gone. Jesus is never looking at your past. He's looking at your future. Let's get there. You have a place in the kingdom. And he wants to work through your life. That simple act of faith, of taking the five pieces of bread, they probably stole. That simple act of faith. is a story that's recorded in all the gospels and forever. What's it mean for me? If all I got is a bunch of broken pieces, he can still use me. If all I got is messed up past, he can still use me. I can't tell teenagers they don't do I, I did that. He can still use you. He can still work in your life. You're not too broken for God's plan. Keep praying the prayers. The story looks like it's broken. But maybe God's putting the pieces together in such a way that you don't get the glory, he gets the glory. Just trust. Trust and believe that if Jesus can take broken pieces and feed 18,000 people, what could he do with your life? God, I love you. And God, with humility and hope, we, we offer up our broken pieces. We offer up our doubts and our fears and our longings. God, we're not gonna live with what the devil lies to us about, that we can't do anything for you, God. We're not gonna live there, God. We're, we're gonna get motivated to do what you've called us to do. We're not gonna sit in these chairs anymore and let that just be what it is. We're gonna get involved with your kingdom. Whatever it is, God, send me. God, if it's Arizona, if it's Belize, whatever it looks like, God, send us. Do your work. God, take the broken pieces, and God, we want to see a miracle out of them. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.